0: Listen, I am always grateful uh, for our incredibly talented worship team. I hope you are, too. Um, I hope you didn't miss the fact that Stephen played three different instruments this morning. Did you catch that? He sang and played three instruments. I noticed that, and that was, that was fairly impressive to me. Uh, listen, I'm glad that you guys are here today. Uh, Hey, before we jump in, uh, I wanted to have a a special time of prayer. Uh, Tomorrow, something as special is happening. We're sending off our students to camp. Uh, We have almost 100 students plus adults that we're going to be sending out to student life camp tomorrow for five days uh, to put their entire attention on the Lord. Uh, And listen, I've been doing camp ministry for 26 years. I am passionate about it. It is incredible. The the Lord does some amazing things when you can actually get away into that kind of environment. And it's so rare uh, for students as well as for adults. And so uh, with this incredible opportunity and all these students heading out, I wanted to make sure we took some time to pray for them, to pray for salvation for students who don't yet know the Lord to pray for renewal for students who might feel far away from the Lord, for for students who might might even be called to ministry, for students to to grow in their walk with the Lord and to learn in in ways that they desperately need to, simply to encounter the Lord and be drawn closer to Him. Uh, In just a moment, when we pray, I I want you thinking, you might know some of the names of the kids in our youth group. You might know uh, some of the kids who were going uh, and so I want you to kind of like bring them to mind and, and kind of lift them up by name. But even if you don't, these are the students in our youth ministry. These are the students that God has blessed us here with right here at Noble Oak, Mount Laurel. A- and so I want to make sure we take seriously responsibility to pray for them as they go have this incredible encounter with the Lord. So let's do that right now. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. And again, you might have some specific students in mind. They might be yours. But but I want you to kind of go ahead and begin to lift them up by name, to ask the Lord to bless them, to ask the Lord to speak clearly, to give them ears to hear, that the Lord might move powerfully during camp this week. Father, I have seen you move in the sanctuary of campsites for decades. I've watched you do the impossible. I've watched you bring people from death to life. I've watched you change the trajectory of students' lives for, forever. Lord, I've seen you bring healing to relationships, healing to hurt. I've seen you bring joy, calls to ministry. Lord, you have done so much uh, through the vehicle of just a five day camp. And Lord, we are so excited to send our students this week. Uh, Father, we obviously want to ask you for your protection over them, for safety. Uh, God, that you would encourage them. God, you would take care of them. But, but even more than that, Father, we pray that you would impact them. That they would have ears to hear and eyes to see. God, that you would speak to them in the ways that they need to hear. God, and they would come back to us changed. They would come back to us encouraged. They would come back to us filled even more with you. And so, Lord, you know the names of every single student and adult that's heading out to camp this week with all their particular needs. And we ask this morning. Uh, that you would bless them, that you would speak to them, that you would empower them and move them as they they head off to camp this week. We pray for Hunter and Noel and all of our adults as they'll be leading. God, I I pray that they wouldn't simply uh, supervise or chaperone, but you would impact them as well. We're grateful for their leadership. But God, I am excited to see what you do in them and how all the stories we're going to hear as they return from camp. Uh, Please remind us, Lord, by your spirit all throughout this week, as we're at work, at home, just to continually be in prayer for them, and especially at night during the worship services, that you would move and that they would hear, God, we love you, and we're excited to see what you're going to do. We all said, amen. "Amen, amen." Grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-five. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-five is where we're going to be uh, in just a minute. As we continue our sermon series called "The Secret of Marriage." Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Hopefully, you got a copy of God's word. If not, you can look on with somebody nearby or maybe on your device. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. As you were turning there, um, I don't think there is any more powerful phrase in the entire English language than I love you. I mean, look, we can come up with all kinds of other phrases, but, but can you think of another phrase that would have more power in the English language than I love you? Uh, I mean, think about it. If you're married, I want you to think about the first time that you heard the person that you were going to marry and spend the rest of your life with, the first time they said that to you and how it changed everything. Or, or when you said it to them for the first time, because, look, you don't say that on the first date. If you're doing that on the first date, stop, right? I mean, look. I mean, look, that, that, you have to build up to that, right? You have to, you have to get there. And, and when you finally said those words, I mean, that has power. That is meaningful. They're the most powerful words in the English language. And look, not hearing them can be just as powerful. I've spoken to some of you who, who said, listen, Adam, I grew up with parents, and I just didn't hear that a whole lot. And my parents, I guess, in their defense, well, well not mine, but, but your, those parents might say, well, well, well they know. You know. They know. You know they, they know. I love them. Well, they may know, but your silence is deafening. To not hear those words can also be painful when you don't hear those words of affirmation, that the words we speak are incredibly powerful. Look, it's, it's no accident that Jesus is called the Word in Scripture. You ever notice that? He's got a lot of different titles, but they call him the word, right? Why? Because speaking is powerful. It is important. God designed us as, as speaking creatures, communicating creatures. And so he, he speaks to us. Remember also that he spoke the universe into existence. You realize he didn't have to do it that way. He could have thought the world into existence. He could have just shown us. He could have just done it. But no, instead, he speaks the world into existence. This idea of communication, uh, of purposefully communicating to us is important. And then obviously that leads us to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't simply die on the cross and expect us to figure it out. No, he comes and tells us what this means. He says, share this good news. That news should be communicated. <clears throat> and think about when you heard the good news for the very first time. When you heard the good news of Jesus Christ that though we are sinners, we're still loved, that we can be forgiven, that Jesus has died on the cross for us, and, and we can have new life forever in Him. It is literally God saying, I love you. It's the most powerful words you can possibly hear. And so we need to recognize that, that the words we say are powerful. They carry emotional weight. They carry emotional power. They even can contain spiritual, powerful. It's a powerful thing when we speak words like this. Now, now time out. Don't take that too far, right? There have been people who have taken things like that too far, and they've assumed, oh, my words can create things. There's, like, weird branches of the Christian church. You think you can just, like, speak things into existence, right? You can just say those things. That's actually not true, which is, here's the weirder part. If you go on TikTok now, there's this whole uh, fad of manifesting where you got people who aren't even believers saying, I can just speak things and create them to be. It doesn't work, right? Uh, Your words are, are, are not that powerful, but but don't minimize them either as if they're meaningless. Our words are incredibly powerful, they carry a lot of weight. And so we need to think about that in terms of our marriage. If you've been with us these last few weeks, we've been learning the secret of marriage, and hopefully, you already know what that is by now. The secret is this marriage is about the gospel. God gives us marriage to help us understand this relationship that God has with us, his people. We are the bride and he is the bridegroom. All right. So as we experience marriage, it's this is a way of understanding God's relationship with us. But then also, the gospel can help you understand your marriage. As we look to the gospel, that can help us know. Okay, how should I then live in my marriage? How, how do I how do I live and interact with this person that God has given me to live with for the rest of my life? Last week, we talked about learning how to love in action. This week, we need to learn that we can't simply love through our actions. We also have to love with our speech. We have to love our spouse with what we say. Why? Because our words are incredibly powerful. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, is not technically about marriage. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to continue to mind that passage here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's been talking to us about salvation. He says, listen, because we have been saved, we are a new creation. And we are to put off the old person and put on the new person. Who we were has died. And Jesus now lives in us, and we are made new, and we are in the process of becoming like him. So we're constantly putting off the old person, and we're putting on this new person. And in Ephesians 4, he tells us how to do that. But as we read this passage, I want you to look for two different things. Uh, Number one, I want you to notice how often speech comes up in what he tells us to do. He'll give us things to actually do, but I want you to notice how many times speech, or the things we say, is brought up. And then secondly... Even though this passage really is about our relationships with everybody. If you're married here today, I want you to think about how this applies in terms of your marriage. Because we don't simply treat this everyone this way. How much more so the person that we're living with, we're in a covenant relationship with. And so with that in mind, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice for sin. Right. So we, we see the Lord here kind of giving us this instruction of how we are to interact with one another. But all throughout here, we're seeing these, these invocations as far as our speech. How are we supposed to speak to one another? How do we interact? How do we communicate with one another? But before we get there, remember, the marriage is about the gospel and the gospel is about marriage. And so before we even think about how we communicate to others, let's think about how God communicates to us. How is it that God speaks to us? How does he communicate? How how does he speak to us? What's the manner of his speech? Because that's going to show us how then we ought to be speaking to our spouse and really to everyone else as well. Now, look, the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. He gives us clear, intelligible, understandable communications. And look, when you and I read the Bible, we're not just reading it for information. The Holy Spirit who wrote this book, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, he will interpret this. He will help you to understand. He teaches us. You don't have to look for vague feelings or impressions and wait on that to say, oh, I've heard from the Lord. Sometimes he speaks in the still, small voice, but, but usually the way he speaks is through his word. This is why the first thing we do every sermon is say, hey, grab your Bibles. Because this is the clearest way we hear God speak. But, but even through his word, how is it that God speaks to us? And through this passage, I think we see four things. First off, yeah, well, four things. He speaks in a loving way, a truthful way an encouraging way, and a gracious way. When God speaks to us, it's loving, it's truthful, it's encouraging, and it's gracious. Well, let's look at those quickly. First off, it is loving. Look at verse 32 and notice what he says there. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." tenderhearted. Right, and then if you skip down to chapter 5, verse 2, just right below that, It says, and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice for sin. When Jesus speaks to us, he always speaks to us in a loving manner. That we're tenderhearted, it means compassionate. Uh, The opposite of that would be harsh. All right, So think about our communication. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us in a compassionate way. He's not speaking to us in harsh tones. He's not speaking in dis- dismissive tones. He is not ignoring us. He says, no, I am speaking to you in a compassionate way. Think about Jesus when he comes and how he speaks to us. Where he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How people who didn't know if they could talk to Jesus say, hey, will you you touch me? I'm a leper. And Jesus says, yes. He communicates with them. To the the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the the people that, that everybody else had turned their backs on. Jesus would speak to them. Zacchaeus up in the tree, he speaks to him, acknowledges him. When Jesus speaks to us, he always speaks in a loving manner. If you're ever worried to talk to the Lord, say, I just don't know how he's going to feel. I don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in when I talk to him. What what God am I going to get if I go to him in prayer? You can always know he's loving towards you. He's compassionate. He's tender-hearted. This is his mode of communication. Secondly, he's truthful. Look at verses 25 and 26. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Jesus is always loving when he speaks to us, but he's also truthful. He tells us the full truth. He doesn't tell us part of the truth or only the easy parts of the truth. Because he loves us, he has to tell us the whole truth. Now that's hard, because sometimes God has to tell us things that are uncomfortable. He has to tell us things that are painful. When we share the gospel with somebody, we also have to share, we always have to share the bad news as well as the good news. The good news is that God loves you. The good news is that you can be saved. What's the bad news? The bad news is I'm a sinner. I am messed up. I am broken. And then it gets worse. I can't fix it. I will never be good enough. I can't work off my sin. I cannot fix what I've done. My heart is deceitfully wicked. This is bad news. Worse than that, I'm bound for hell. And I deserve it. This is the bad news that is true not just for me. It's true for you. It's true for all of us apart from Christ. And sometimes people say, well, Adam, I just don't want to say that part. Can can we just say the good news? Let's just say the good news. I like saying the good news. Let's just say God loves you. But I just don't want to say the bad news. But you can. If you love somebody, you have to tell them the whole truth. Imagine this. Imagine if I came up to you and says, hey, listen, I need your help. Uh, I need you to break some news to somebody. They're over in the next room. Uh, But here, we just found out two things about this guy. All right, the first one is this. Uh, He, from a long-lost relative who just died, he didn't even know him, he just inherited $10 million. He's going to be elated. It's going to be great. You're thinking, great. Here's the second thing. We just found out he's got cancer too. You need to go tell him both those things. You're thinking, I want to do half of that. Right? I, I, can I just tell him the first part? You tell him the bad part. Right. I just want to tell him the, the first part. Maybe I'll just go tell him the really, really good news, man. Surely it'll all work itself out. I don't wanna kinda of make the guy upset, but but I'll just let, let me just tell him the good news, but I don't want to tell him the bad news. Okay, well that's that's not very loving. Cause guess what? This cancer's treatable. It's going to be a hard road, but it's absolutely treatable. It's absolutely something that we can deal with. And if you don't tell him about that, guess what? He's not going to be here long enough to really enjoy the blessing that he just got from that inheritance. Look, if you don't tell the bad news, if you don't tell the whole truth, you're you're not actually loving somebody. Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. Sometimes for us as believers, God has to convict us. I'll be honest, I don't enjoy it. Do you? I don't like it when the Lord has revealed to me, hey, you're wrong about this. Hey, you need to adjust this. Hey, you've got to really work on that. Hey, this, this is really, you got to, this is not okay. I don't like it when he reveals those things. But why is the Lord doing that? Well, he's not being angry at me. He's not trying to put his thumb down on me. He's, he's loving me. He wants me to be set free. He wants me to be like him. He wants me to experience fullness of life. And so he loves me enough to tell me the truth. When God speaks to us, he always speaks truthfully. Here's the third thing. He's encouraging. He's encouraging. Look at verse 29. Notice what it says there. It says, uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When God speaks to us, he is always speaking in an encouraging manner. God's purpose in speaking to us is to encourage us, is to build us up. It's not to tear us down. You say, Adam, wait a minute, you just told me he's going to convict me. He's going to show me things about myself that need to change. Yes, he is. But remember the purpose. The purpose is ultimately to build you up, is to set you free, is to keep you from pain. Instead, he wants to give you more life, more joy. He wants you to experience the fullness of him. And so his words are always encouraging. He wants us to understand him, to appreciate him, to enjoy him. And so when God comes to speak to us, as fits the occasion, he's going to encourage you. I hope you had this experience, but how many times have you found yourself in a bad situation and you've run to scripture and said, man, I'm I'm in a bad way. And you open up the word and what does God do? He encourages us. He's been doing this with me all week where I say, God, I need help, and he's pointing me to his word. He's pointing me back to Psalms. He's pointing me back to passages, and I get encouraged. He speaks to us words of encouragement. And then fourthly, fourthly, he speaks graciously. When God speaks to us, he speaks in a gracious way. Look at the end of verse 29. It says that it may give grace to those who hear. And then finally, look at verse 32, and notice what it says. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When God speaks to us, he does not speak to us in ways that we deserve. Instead, he's constantly giving us grace. He's constantly giving us what we don't deserve. We get grace and then also this kindness, this mercy. Do you notice that word kind there, right? We were to be kind in him. This is a very specific word, and you see it in multiple places. Let me show you here in Luke chapter 6. You see it again. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. Uh, look what it says. It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, for you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What an amazing thing. That the Lord doesn't speak to us like we speak to him. You ever look back in your life and find yourself ashamed of some of the things you said to the Lord? You ever told the Lord what he needs to do? You ever done that? God, here's what you need to do. Really? Seriously. Can you, I mean, you're, the God, you're the infinite God. Oh, do tell. What should I do? I haven't thought of that. He's the God of the universe. And God doesn't sit there with an eternal eye roll. Right? Instead, he, he speaks graciously to us. He smiles and he continues to love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our words deserve. When God speaks to us, he speaks graciously to us. This is how he loves us. This is how he takes care of us. And so when you're, you're thinking about communicating with the Lord, you never have to be in fear to talk to him. Why? Because his words to us are always loving, they're truthful, they're encouraging, and they are gracious. This is what I should expect in my communication with us. He loves us like a bride. He loves us like his beloved. And so this is how he speaks to us. So if that's the case, And that's what all of us can expect as believers. And remember, the gospel teaches us about marriage. How then do we take that kind of speech, that example, and we live that out with our beloved, with the husband or wife, the the person that God has given you to marry? When God puts a man and a woman together, you now have a spouse. uh, How do you speak to them? Not just how you show your love to them, but how do you speak this to them? Because we ought to be doing these same four things in our marriage that God gives to us. And so first off is this. When we speak to our spouse, we ought to be speaking in a loving manner. When we speak to our spouse, you ought to be speaking in a loving manner. Remember that word tender-hearted. We ought to be speaking in a compassionate manner. With our spouse. Now, look, when you first get married or you're first dating, this is super easy, right? It is super easy. When you're dating, it's just coming out of you, right? You're writing sonnets like every day, right? It, it is easy to talk about your beloved, right? You're in, you're in iambic pentameter. You love it. You could just go on and on about how great they are, and you tell them how great they are. And even on the honeymoon, you know how great they are. And then first year of marriage, kind of how great they are. But over time, sometimes that language shifts, does it not? Because as you get into your marriage, 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, a couple things have happened. Well, you, you got jobs, you had kids, the stress in your marriage really ramped up over time, and now you got history, right? You don't just have two months of history, now you got 20 years of history, ups and downs, good and bad. And if you're not careful, that stress or that history can lead you to talk in a perfunctory manner to your spouse. You might not be being mean, but you're not writing sonnets anymore. Uh, You're just getting through the day. And you might say what some of those parents might say. Well, they know. They know I love them. They know I care. I've said it for years. I've said it before. They know. Yeah, but your silence is deafening. When we don't take time to continually say it, to say, hey, I love you. I care for you. Thank you. I see what you did there, and I see the sacrifice you're making. I so appreciate you for who you are and what you're doing. I'm so glad I'm still married to you. I'm so glad the Lord gave you to me. Do we take the time to speak it, not just to think it or even to show it, but do we take time to speak in a tender-hearted manner, a compassionate manner to your spouse? Remember, this is how God deals with us. This is how he draws us to himself. Therefore, we should also be speaking in a similar manner to our spouse. When it comes to your spouse, do you find yourself speaking in a harsh manner? A flat manner? Do you just not say anything at all? Or can you say, I'm actively speaking in a compassionate way, a loving way, with my spouse? Here's the second thing. We have to speak truthfully. Look at verse 25 once again. Notice what he says there. Uh, It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If we love one another, then we must speak truthfully with one another. And you might say, Adam, I'm no liar. I always speak the truth. Yeah, kind of. Because here's what I find out. Sometimes people don't actually lie, uh, but we get really close in that we like to bend the truth to make us look better. You ever done that? You have, all right? You just have. We all do. You really do. Uh, Listen, I, I cannot tell you how many times in the past few months I have heard the same story told to me two different ways. You ever seen that? You you say, tell me what happened. And invariably, the person who's telling you the story, person A, will say, listen, I was super calm, cool, and collected. Here's all I said. But they were a crazy person. I go, really? So I go talk to the crazy person. Okay, tell me what's happened. And they say, listen, I was calm, cool, and collected. They were crazy people. Who's lying? Both of them. Because the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? What are we doing? We're not lying per se. You're just bending the truth to make ourselves look better. You say, Adam, I don't do that. Of course we do. You ever use the word always or never in your marriage? You always do that. You always mess up. You always take their side. You always do that. You never pick up after yourself. You never help out. You never say the right thing. You ever said that before? Seriously, always? Never in the decades of your marriage has this ever occurred? You really remember every instant? They have never done this in the history of your marriage? Never? It has never occurred? Could we be bending the truth just a little bit? To make our arguments stronger. Listen, that's not speaking truthfully to one another. Look, when it comes to your marriage, we need to speak honestly, truthfully. We've got to own up to our part, but we need to speak truthfully to one another. Look at verse 26, and that's what it says there. In 26, he's going to say, be angry and do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is a hard thing. Sometimes you say, Adam, I don't want to talk about these things. You want, it's a hard issue. I don't want to talk about it. So you know what? We're just going to forget about it. We're just going to forget about it. We're just going to put that in a closet, just, to, just close the door on it, just forget about it, and surely it will go away. We're just going to bury it, and it's going to go down to the groundwater, and it'll never bother us again, right? Surely it'll go away. I have news for you. It's not going away. It's still there. And the more you continue to bury that stuff, it's not seeping down into the groundwater. It's turning into a volcano. And sooner or later, it's going to erupt and kill everybody. Some of you have been at the tip of that volcano when it erupted. Here's where it typically happens it happens at your dishwasher. Because sooner or later, you're going to have a fight over how you properly load the dishwasher. Do you know in your house who knows how to properly load the dishwasher? Here's the answer not you. You don't know because they know, they've been on the internet. They grew up a certain way. They know how to load the dishwasher. And the way you do it is like a crazy person. You do not know. No, I know how to load the dishwasher. There is no school teaching proper technique and etiquette for the loading of a dishwasher. It'll wash all the dishes, chuck them in there. Why are we fighting over the dishwasher? Because it's not about the dishwasher. It's never about the dishwasher. It's about the 50 things you have failed to talk about that is now going to come out in this argument. Guys, it doesn't go away. Don't go to sleep on your anger. I know it's uncomfortable to have these conversations, but you got to stop and say, hey, we got to talk about this. Hey, I don't want to take this anger with me. I don't want to let it build up resentment or contempt. Hey, we got to talk about this. All right? And so we have to be truthful To one another even if that means a hard conversation remember we're trying to be loving we're trying to protect uh, this relationship and so i need to be truthful in my speech this is how god speaks to us here's a third thing it's encouraging our speech should be encouraging look at verse 29 it says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Right? So, in our speech, I don't want to be discouraging. I want to be encouraging. In, In verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The word for corrupting means to rot or decay. So, think about that. He's saying, don't speak in a way that rots your relationship that makes it decay, that makes it dissolve. And you, you might say, I don't want it. I didn't say anything terribly harsh. I, I, it, was just a, it was just a comment. It was just one comment. What can it hurt? That one comment might not hurt a lot, but over time, it will erode the foundation of your marriage. Take a rock, throw it in a river, and over time, it will get worn away. It's solid. But it will over time be eroded. That's what happens when you let corrupting talk go on in your marriage. How do we speak to one another as husband and wife? How do you speak about one another? You have to really guard your mouth in this. There's a couple ways you can really think about this. Uh, First off, uh, it is never appropriate for you to, to, to cast insults on your husband or wife in public. I've watched this happen in community groups here before. Where you're just making jokes, and you start basically making jokes about the person that you're married to. Oh, man, you can't believe. Blah, blah, blah. And, and you, start, you start putting them down in public. You play it off as a joke, but, but it doesn't feel like a joke for them. My concern is, is, like, man, if that's the kind of stuff you're saying in public, I can't even imagine what you're saying in private. How do you talk to one another? And you say, yeah, but Adam, my love language is sarcasm. That's not a love language. That's an anti-love language. That does not mean you can never be sarcastic. But when it comes to communicating with your spouse, this should not be your primary mode of communication. You say, oh, man, I look, I'm just kidding. Seriously, I'm just kidding. Listen, listen, you are a grown man or woman. You are not five. You don't get the right to say, I'm just kidding. Because here's the deal. That doesn't work on my five-year-old. My five-year-old gets hurt. She doesn't buy. Just kidding. Your wife doesn't either. Your husband doesn't either. They don't. I'm just kidding. No, you're not. There's a little bit of truth under there, and it's not helping your marriage. It's hurting your marriage. It's eroding your marriage. When you speak in a disparaging way, when you speak in a consistently sarcastic way, when you're speaking in a way that's just casting aspersions, you're not building up. You're tearing down. You can't minimize this. Remember, your words have impact over time. And so we need to be thinking about this. Am I speaking away the roads? Or you can do the opposite. Uh, Because look what he says. Uh, It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. See, here's the great things about your word. Uh, they, They not only can tear down, they can also build up. In the same way that they have the power to erode that foundation, they also have the power to build up that foundation. You can speak in ways that actually draw you closer. Isn't that what the Lord does with us when he gives us his word? His purpose is not just that we would be knowledgeable. His purpose is that we would know him. He would draw us close to him, that we would understand and abide in him more. You can speak to your your, your spouse in a way that draws you close to them. Where instead of choosing to, to discourage them, I'm going to choose to encourage them. I look for ways to praise them. I look for ways to encourage them. I look for ways to, to build them up. And look, don't be fake. Don't be trite. They, they, they know you better than anybody. They'll, they'll know when you're faking it. But when you see opportunities, don't fail to take them to say, man, I, I want to praise you for what you've done. I want to be, be thankful for you. I don't want to encourage you in what you've done. Far from discouraging, this builds up your relationship. This draws you closer in love to one another. This is what God is offering to us. But then finally, He's gracious. He's gracious. Look at verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When Jesus comes to us, he comes graciously, he forgives. Specifically, he gives his life for us. Before, by the way, we deserve it. He doesn't wait for us to deserve it. He doesn't wait for us to make the first move. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together before he says, okay, you've shown me you can get a little bit better. I'll go die on the cross for you. He says, no, wait, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And so when it comes to speaking words to uh, your spouse, we've got to be able to forgive one another, to speak graciously. A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we learned a phrase that we all need to learn if you're married. It's this, I'm sorry. Because we're all going to make mistakes. I do, you do, we all make mistakes. But here's another phrase we also have to learn if we're going to live in a marriage. I forgive you. Because as much as we need to say, I'm sorry, when your spouse says this to you, we need to say this out loud. I forgive you. I forgive you. And look, you might need to say it more than once. Because has this shoe ever been on the other foot? Have you ever done something wrong? Your spouse says, I forgive you. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if they do. I don't know if they really meant that. Because I know what I did, and I know it was wrong, and I don't know if I would forgive me, and I bet they're still hurting. So I don't know if they, they really meant it. And so you know what I need to hear? I need to hear you say it again and again. I need the Lord to tell me all the time, I'm truly forgiven for everything, past, present, and future. I'm truly forgiven. I need him to tell me often. And he does in our marriages. It it ought to be normal when somebody offers and says, look, I'm sorry that we say, I forgive you. Speak it. Say it. But we might need to say it often because they might need to hear it often and we don't wait for them to be all fixed because they're never going to be all fixed. I'm never going to be all fixed. I choose graciously, just like the Lord deals with me. If I've been forgiven so much, how could I not forgive the person that God has given me to marry, the the, the beloved in my life? How can I not also forgive? If this is how God speaks to me, how much more so then should I speak to my beloved? And so when it comes to our communication, we need to make sure that our mode, our our manner of speaking, it corresponds to just how Jesus speaks to us. So do this for me. your head's bowed and eyes closed, let's think about that for a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just think about your marriage for a moment. Or or even if you're not married, you can think about the the relationship you want to have. Or you might think about your relationship with others. But especially for those of us who are married now, man, think about your relationship. And say, Lord, do I I speak to them like you speak to me? Do, Do I love them with the words that I say? Am I encouraging? Am I truthful? Am I gracious? would you find places to say, man, I, I think I missed the mark here. I, I, don't, I don't really think, I, I, don't think I, I got that right. Maybe take a moment even now and just confess that to the Lord. Before you, you confess that to your spouse, just confess that to the Lord. And say, Father, I, I'm sorry. God, I, I, I want to talk like you talk. I want to communicate like you communicate. Lord, I, I want to I love my spouse like you love me. And so, Father, help us. For every single marriage in the room, Father, for all the the people here that you've given us this blessing of marriage, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you help us? Would you bring to mind, Father, places where we're not loving our spouse like you love us? where we speak in, in an unguarded manner, where we speak in a, in, in a callous manner, where we speak in a harsh manner. And, Father, maybe that was, that was not our intent. Maybe we were just unguarded. We, we weren't thinking enough about the person we love, but that, that's never you. You always take care of us. And so, Father, I ask that you truly would open up our hearts, fill us with your Spirit, that as we communicate w- with our beloved, uh, you would help us to communicate like you. Father, heal the rifts in marriages, God. uh, Heal the erosion that has taken place. Instead, Father, replace it with, with building up. Stronger bonds, deeper love. Father, that each marriage in this room might be a reflection of your life in us. God, we don't deserve you. We're just so happy that you chose us and that we get to live with you forever. Would you show us how to reflect that in the life we have at home? We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up with me if you will. Let's sing this hymn in response today as we honor the Lord. Uh, listen, uh, I wanted to give you guys uh, an update, and announcement about our Chelsea campus. Uh, many of you guys know that uh, five years ago, uh, we started the second campus in Chelsea. Uh, over those years, uh, it's gone from the elementary school to where we started into the building that we helped build for them uh, just a couple years ago. And they've begun to fulfill their mission of spreading the gospel in the Chelsea area. Each week, they average between four and 500 people in worship already. Uh, over a year ago, you might remember this, uh, we made a shift in our strategy regarding th- this campus, it w- that it was time to begin moving it towards independence. Uh, and since then, we have been working very uh, on a plan uh, towards that end, and we were very close to announcing uh, a specific plan to make that a reality. Uh, But at the end of December last year, uh, the Chelsea leadership let us know of some deep divisions uh, among the leadership of the Chelsea campus. Uh, We found out more in January, and over the past five months, uh, the elders here and I have done our best to come alongside everyone there to help them heal these divisions. Uh, Look, rather than being one singular issue, this is a lot of smaller issues that involve a lot of different people over a long period of time. And over that time, listen, there have been a ton of meetings and conversations and prayers poured into trying to understand and untangle all of these issues. Two months ago, uh, we collectively decided uh, on a plan to hopefully address many of these issues uh, to bring healing and reconciliation over the coming months uh, at that campus. However, as we tried to implement that plan, some of the leaders uh, there have decided that they cannot move forward with the current leadership and have decided to step aside. Uh, And so it's with great sadness, I have to inform you, uh, that the three lay elders at Chelsea, uh, Richard Self, Joe Harvey, and Ben DeLoach, uh, each submitted their resignation from our elder board, effective immediately. Uh, Each of these men had their own reasons for making such a decision, but each has also decided that they cannot move forward any further with the current leadership at Chelsea. Uh, Look, this is a hard announcement to make, and quite frankly, it's it's disappointing. no one, wants, uh, no one really saw this coming. No one wanted this to happen. Uh, and look, I realize this is a hard announcement to make on our Memorial Day when a lot of people are out. Uh, and look, this is, that's not the best, but we didn't want you to hear it piecemeal in bits and pieces and wait another week. We wanted to make sure you heard this from us uh, as soon as we could tell you. Um, but, but let me be honest, um, this has been an incredibly frustrating and disappointing season as we have tried to work through all of these things. Uh, Five months ago, we were all very excited uh, about a plan moving forward, uh, excited about all the new things uh, that were going to be happening with this campus, and so all of this has been distracting and disheartening. Uh, And I am aware, look, we have so many new people here at the church, some of you don't know anybody at all at the Chelsea campus, uh, but many of us have a lot of friends uh, that are down there, and we've poured a lot into uh, this campus. Uh, But I do want to encourage you with a few things this morning. First and foremost, I want to let you know that here at Mount Laurel, we are strong and unified. Uh, Our elders are united. Our staff is healthy. uh, We are in alignment moving forward. We're excited about what the Lord is doing. The Lord has blessed us with an incredibly strong financial position. Uh, We are in a really healthy spot, and for that, I am truly grateful. Uh, Second, we are still very committed to the work of the Lord through the Chelsea campus. And he is still very much at work. Even with all of this unfolding over the past few months, 13 different family units have joined at the Chelsea campus. Nine people have been baptized. And those numbers are only slightly smaller than what we're doing here and what we've seen in the past five months. And so the Lord still is very much at work. And we pray that that's not only going to continue, but we want that to grow. This is the original dream for starting this campus to begin with. The third I truly believe that the Lord can and will bring healing to this campus. I want to invite you to join me with all the elders as we pray for this campus, for their leadership and the staff, for these departing elders, for the people who call the Chelsea campus home. And look, that's not a trite ask. I know the pastor is supposed to ask you to pray about a situation, but there is no more important or impactful thing that you can do in this situation than pray for them. To pray that the Lord will do what we cannot to heal what we cannot, to do immeasurably more than what you and I can ask or imagine. Look, we're going to do our best to continue walking alongside everybody in this situation. There's absolutely still more work to be done, but we want the Lord to be leading us in all things. It is His Spirit, that is the only thing that can truly move us forward. And so as we do that, uh, I want to just really challenge all of us to be praying for them. I'm sure that we will talk about this, but more than we talk about it, can I just challenge us to pray even more? That we will be lifting everyone there up as much as possible, that the Lord might heal these things, that we might continue to have more joyous things to share about all the things that the Lord is doing there. And so let's make it a priority to pray for all of our brothers and sisters at the Chelsea campus as they rebuild and move forward. And finally, look, if you've got questions about this, you have all of the elders here that you can reach out to, uh, and myself, and Mike Mantooth, our head elder, uh, Dave Watson, Tony Bell, and Rob Solosi. Uh, We will be here to help, and we will keep you posted as we walk through this situation. But I wanted to close our service today uh, with having a time of praying for them. And so would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you know how painful this has all been as we've tried to understand and walk through all of these issues. And Lord, I can't even tell you that I I fully understand all of these things. I just know that it's not your desire that there would be strife, that there would be division, but instead that there would be healing and that there would be unity and there would be joy. Lord, we are not the first uh, to have to go through things like this. We see this all throughout the New Testament. But, Lord, that gives me hope, because in those very same situations, we saw you bring healing. We saw you bring uh, reconciliation. We saw you bring new purpose and new vision and and new dreams. And, Father, I pray that you would bring those new dreams. God, that for every single person who's being impacted by this, and certainly as they hear this at the Chelsea campus today, that your spirit would comfort, your spirit would, would help, your spirit would guide and protect, That you would simply walk with us as as people hear this and react in different ways. Father, we confess that we cannot do this on our own. And that's not just true of this situation. That's true of this entire church, period. Lord, we cannot lead people to salvation on our own. Father, we cannot change the world on our own. You are the only one who can do that. And you've chosen to join us with you in it. And so, Father, I pray that your power and your spirit would fill everyone in our entire church on both campuses as we continue to fulfill this mission. And so, Father, thank you for your leadership and your guidance. We ask that you would continue to help us, and we ask your blessing upon everybody who will be involved or impacted at the Chelsea campus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that every hour when we need you, you answer, and we never have to worry that you will uh, will leave us behind. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your work. We are anxious to see what you are going to do. In your name we pray, and we all said, amen. 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 Listen, uh, I hope you have a phenomenal weekend. Uh, This weekend you have incredible weather to look forward to, but I am glad that we have gotten a chance to worship together. Let me give you a blessing as we leave here today. In the name of Jesus Christ, who has called and made us his people, in the name of Jesus Christ, who has saved us from our sins and is transforming us to be more than we could ever be on our own, let us leave in that joy. Let us leave unified as his people. Let's leave ready to share the good news of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. So in the name of Jesus Christ, who's done all these things and more, as we leave here today, may we all go in peace.